0: Tennessee football practice is underway this week, and that means we are ready to leave Jeremy Pruitt and the saga of the summer behind and set our sights on the 2023 season and what the Vols might have as an encore in year three under Josh Heifel after last year's breakout campaign. Welcome into the Volunteer State. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside the Knoxville News Sentinels, Adam Sparks and John Adams. I discussed Pruitt there in the opening. We're not going to discuss him here. That might be a welcome relief for some of you Tennessee fans, but if you want to wrap up the Jeremy Pruitt saga, Adam's excellent reporting can still be found over at knoxnews.com. But with practice beginning this week, we're going to dive into some some preseason storylines, some preseason roster questions as Tennessee reloads, retools, and expectations remain high for this season. So Adam, are you, you feel like you're ready to leave Pruitt behind? I'm sure the fan base is ready to leave Pruitt behind.
2: Yeah. I've been answering a lot of emails uh, and texts and things uh, this week from fans that say, I'm, I'm ready to move on. I'm done with Pruitt. I don't want to hear it anymore. And then they will comment about specifics in the story that they had just read about Pruitt. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's a little one, one reader, uh, responded to him, who was, who was lightly complaining about the onslaught of Pruitt stories. I, I said it's a little bit like a political scandal. I think I even used the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky, dating myself a little bit there. But uh, I used that example to say, you know, when that used to lead off the nightly news in the 90s every night, people would say, I'm I'm tired of this. Now, I will watch absolutely every second of it, but I'm tired of it. And that's sort of what people are, how people are responding to Pruitt. If you give me some more, I'll I'll take it. But then afterwards, I'm going to complain uh, that I don't want any more. I'm I'm ha- I'm more than pleased to not be shoveling as much of it out, and uh, looking forward to talking about Joe Milton and Aaron Beasley and Drew McCoy and the like.
0: John, a columnist is always reluctant to leave those topics behind, right? Are you Are you ready to turn the page to the season, or is it or is it with some regret that we're we're moving forward here?
1: I uh, know I'm not ready to turn it. Turn the page here. I mean, I'm grateful for Adam and his colleague, our colleague Mike Wilson, for writing all these stories. They did a tremendous job. They've given me some ideas, and and based on my emails, readers are. It's raising more questions with readers. I got an email today, very serious tone. Uh, the person asked, his Philip Fulmer uh, expressed regret over what happened to the football program on his watch?" And the second question was, has he apologized for <laughs> for hiring Jeremy Pruitt? <laughs> I don't think uh, Adam's written a lot of stories. He's combed through a lot of emails. But correct me if I'm wrong, Adam, did you see anywhere in any of that where Philip Fulmer regretted hiring Jeremy Pruitt or what happened to the football program on his watch as AD? No, the only
2: emails that I saw from Philip Fulmer was – uh. Saying how they could have, they should have kept him, should have kept him longer. He was doing a good enough job. Things were headed in the right direction. Uh, <laughs> I'm not kidding at all. I mean, that's, that's what the email said. It
0: explains why neither one of them have a job today. And and we will we will leave Pruitt behind now, as as promised, and get into preseason topics. So let's start here. We got some burning questions, if you will. Tennessee, more fortunate than others, it doesn't have a burning question at quarterback, although five-star Nico Iamaliava is in the mix. This is Joe Milton's offense for the time being, and for good reason. If you saw Joe Milton perform at the Orange Bowl at the end of last season, the question is, who's he going to be slinging it to? We know that given the the tempo of Josh Heupel's offense that doesn't allow for a ton of substitution at wide receivers, so that means earning a starting job Is particularly important if you're a Tennessee wide receiver and you want to get on the field. Better be a starter. So, question is, after some roster turnover, who will be Joe Milton's three wide receivers for the season opener?
2: So, I think the answer is um, Brew McCoy, Squirrel White, Rameel Keaton. Uh, You may remember those were the three wide receivers in the Orange Bowl that Joe Milton was throwing to. Um, I think those would be the three in the opener. And that, that's the key word there in the opener. Um, if you look at the last two seasons under Josh Hopple, what we started with is not necessarily what we went with or finished with throughout the year. Um, that first season, Jalen Hyatt was a starter early on. Bayless Va- uh, Jones ended up being the better fit at slot. Josh Hopple's second year. Cedric Tillman was the guy at the beginning of the year, and injuries pushed him out. And so you had a different three through a lot of that season. So I I think the three certainly could be different by middle or certainly late in the year, but the opener, I think the simplest answer is the correct one. And that's Bru McCoy, squirrel white and, and Ramel Keaton, the orange bowl trio. We try to shoehorn Dante Thornton in here, the Oregon transfer. Um, maybe he could play slot. Maybe he could play on the outside Ramel Keaton spot. Um, I could see that again over time working out, but, but not for the opener. And I wasn't as convinced of this, um, at the end of last season, maybe not even in the spring. What convinced me that especially Romel Keaton will be in the in that in that trio in the starting lineup is the fact that Joe Milton has such a good relationship with him. Um, he's he's worked out with him, I think, more than any receiver uh in the offseason. When it was Joe Milton's time to do that that NIL trip to New York, and he got to choose a companion to go with him, he chose Romel Keaton. And so much of what Joey Halsley does, Joey Halsley, the quarterbacks, coach, offensive coordinator. So much of what he did with Hendon Hooker was figure out what makes Hendon comfortable. That's personnel, that's routes, that's different types of throws and do those things. And what, make Joe, what makes Joe Milton comfortable is throwing the ball to Ramel Keaton. And that's why I think Keaton will stay in there with uh, with Squirrel and Brew.
1: I think Ramel Keaton is a really nice comeback story because there was a time uh, pre-Josh Heupel really where I thought he was going to fall by the wayside. Uh, as you remember, he was a four-star, much-celebrated signee when Tennessee got him. But, and I remember highlights. I remember in the Gator Bowl, which uh, uh, he made a couple of tough catches. What I like about this, the, the threesome Adam mentioned is there's really nice versatility there. Uh, Ramel Keaton, to me, is a guy that can make the great catch. That he will stretch out, dive and stab for the ball, make the play brew mccoy's a strong physical guy that can just take the ball away from a defensive back when the ball's up for grabs he can get it and then i think in squirrel white you have a a playmaker a guy that can really make big plays i I really think uh squirrel white will be a star in the sec john i don't know what you're talking about the gator bowl Uh,
2: i don't recall that game ever occurring um (laughs) i got my media guide today oh sorry
0: it's been vacated, those, huh?
2: Those winds oh, John, vacated. John and I were there. Uh, well, I, I, have an I, I, old v, I have an old VHS tape of that Gator Bowl <laughs> and uh, put it in the VCR today, push play, and there was nothing but static. So it <laughs> well, did not
1: happen. And, you know, I had, we had a horrible time actually entering the stadium there, as I recall. Do you, do you remember that, Blake? We just couldn't seem to get there. There was so much security. You can't go this way. You can't go that way. And yeah, it was
0: kind of a joke of a setup, really, getting into the the venue. I mean, I thought – I, I like visiting Jacksonville. You and I, John, we both love the beach. I believe uh, morning of the game – it was a night game. I really believe morning of the game, I actually went out and spent a couple hours on, on the beach. I think I made two trips to the beach total, good food, seafood. But, yeah, actually covering the game, um, if any Gator, Gator Bowl representatives uh, are listening to this, It was an embarrassment.
2: Y'all's description of this bowl game again seems very vague, and I'll let y'all in on something: it's because it was a dream. It did not (laughs) happen. This was this was the last episode of the uh, of the sitcom where you where you wake up and find out it was all a dream. Didn't happen. Those two years. Yeah, it
0: was an exciting end, but I guess that exciting end I I imagined it apparently according to the record books. But moving on, Tennessee was uh, was at the top of the the national leaders last year for offense, and there was a lot of reasoning for that, but one of that was Tennessee had a pretty sturdy offensive line, had a dependable ground game. They were about middle of the pack in the conference, and sacks allowed, which was a far cry from just a few years ago when uh, Tennessee quarterbacks, including Jarrett Garantano, were a pinata, and that, again, that's a credit to to Hinton Hooker uh, in his getting rid of the ball, but it's also a credit to the offensive line. However. Darnell Wright, gone to the NFL. Another starter, Jerome Carvin, also gone. So in the aftermath of some departures, will the offensive line become a liability, or is there enough pieces still there uh, that this offensive line will remain a strength, or at the very least, not a hindrance for Tennessee?
2: It won't be as good as last year, um, but I have some confidence in uh, Glenn Ellerby, the offensive line coach, that it will. It will be good enough. Um, I think they can scheme in some ways. They've shown that to, to make it good enough. Um, they can. They can have more tight ends. Uh, that, that that'll be tight, especially Jacob Warren. I think he could help there. Uh, they've got better running backs now that can help in pass protection. So I think it'd be, it be it can be good enough. I, th- I think it's probably going to take a little bit of shifting around. It'll take some musical chairs. Um, you know, John Campbell, the Miami transfer, is probably going to be at left tackle. Will he stay there? Probably, maybe. Gerald Menzi's moved over to the right side where Darnell Wright left. Um, you're going to have maybe some uh, a revolving door at one of the guard spots. There's a Texas transfer. Uh, Andre Carrick that may fit there. It could be Jackson Lampley. It could be Addison Nichols. It could be Ollie Lane. So I think they're going to figure out the combinations. I, I have I have confidence that they'll find the right combination and that will be good enough. I don't think that'll necessarily be the five, though, that we see starting you know halfway through this camp.
1: I don't know if you have to have a great offensive line in Josh Heupel's system. Uh, I go back to two years ago, his first season here, Two thousand and twenty one, Tennessee averaged over thirty-nine points per game. And I didn't think that was a great offensive line. Last year's offensive line was better. But I just feel like Josh Heupel's offense, it doesn't matter who's out there, it seems like it's gonna score around 40 points. So I don't think it should be I don't think it should be in the concern category.
0: I also think I mean, Adam, you made a good point with Glenn Ellerby. he's been he's going into, I believe this is year eight right, of LRB working with Josh Heupel. They were together at Missouri when Heupel was the offensive coordinator. LRB was his line coach, and then, then they went to UCF together, now entering year three together at Tennessee. And as John pointed out, I think part of this is a credit to Heupel's system. I think it puts the offensive line in position to succeed. We talk about how this offense is a quarterback-friendly offense. I think it's also an offensive line-friendly offense by keeping the defense on its heels with that tempo. As long as you get yourself in shape to play at that tempo, that can be the hard thing for linemen is that first six months adjusting to the conditioning. But once you're there, I think you're in position to succeed. But to Adam's point, I think Ellerby has proven himself as a line coach and maybe doesn't get enough credit. You know, when you're an offensive coach like Heipel is, or I think, you know, Sabin fell into this category as a defensive mind for a long time. You know, everybody assumes, well, it's your system, so you're really running the show there, and everybody else is kind of along for the ride. That is true. It's Josh Heipel's offense. He's he's the trigger man to all this. But I do think you can still have really good assistants working on your staff. And I think Adam's right. One of the one of the most valuable members Tennessee has on this staff is Glenn Ellerby, with the familiarity he has with the system. And also just his track record for being a really good O-line coach.
2: Yeah, and I, th- I think the, the the key phrase with a lot of Hypo staff is problem solvers. Uh, he, he, he identifies assistant coaches that can look at an issue, especially personnel-wise, sometimes in the preseason, sometimes week-to-week, game-to-game. And can, and can say, what do I have? And whatever I have, I'm going to do something positive with it. And Ellerby certainly fits in with that. I think that's why they've had a long relationship. He can take what he's given, move pieces around, uh, and they can solve the problem. And that's that's why I think even though they lost two NFL offensive linemen, um, that they've spent this offseason figuring out how to make that work.
0: All right, burning preseason question number three. We will flip over to defense for this one byron young was tennessee's best pass rusher last year he highlights some of the defensive departures so in in the aftermath of of young moving on to the nfl will a a dominant pass rusher develop during the preseason and if so maybe who are the candidates to step into that role of of marquee pass rusher
2: Well, anybody listening to this that's followed Tennessee football this offseason has at least two names, maybe three, on the top of their head. For that that Leo, it's the weak side defensive end, Byron Young's old position. Um, Joshua Josephs, James Pierce, those are both sophomores, and Caleb Herring, the freshman. Those are these long, athletic – Four-star prospects that they signed to be dominant pass rushers. Those are the three. Some combination of those three, I think, eventually will work out during the year. But it, here's what I'll, I've asked myself though about this question: Why not Roman Harrison? You know, that's a guy that's been around. This is his fifth year. Um, you know, he knows how to play the position. He he's been a backup his entire career. He's just looked at as a guy that can come in and give you some snaps while the while the star needs a needs a break. Roman Harrison, late last year, um, had I think it was two two tackles for loss, maybe two sacks in the Vanderbilt game when they were thin up front. He had a really good Orange Bowl. Um, he's probably the starter, and he's sort of a forgotten guy. He's sort of the the Ramel Keaton of, of defense. He's the guy that does produce when he gets a chance. He just doesn't get as much of a chance. Ramel Keaton got the chance last year and capitalized on it. I think maybe there's a chance Roman Harrison, the forgotten guy, in here ends up just being a guy that can get them get them sacks and get a pass rush. He's not Byron Young. He's not an NFL caliber guy in that way. But I think him and the combination of the young guys will be able to
1: produce something. I'm glad you mentioned Roman Harrison because that's kind of a underscores a, a theme on this uh, the Josh Heupel era. We've seen players that didn't do that much before Heupel arrived, both offensively and defense, who who have done much better. Uh, on his watch, and I, I, Roman Harrison, he did play well in the Orange Bowl, so I wouldn't write that guy off. I think there's a tendency after a couple of seasons, particularly a four-star recruit, there's a tendency to – they haven't done that much. They haven't wowed you in any way just to write him off and just put him in the bus category. But we, we've talked about two guys on our podcast, Ramel Keaton and Roman Harrison, who have gotten, who have gotten better. And I think there have been a number of players that that happened with uh, since Josh Heupel's been the coach. So I don't know if anybody will be as dominant uh, as last year, but I'd like to see Roman Harrison do well because he's stuck around, played hard, and, and maybe this is his opportunity to step up. And
2: I think another factor in this is it's you get sacks and you get a pass rush not just based on the talent of a guy, uh, beating a double team. It's where does the double team go? Uh, Tennessee will have a very good interior defensive line. They were good. There. They are pretty good there last year. They'll be even better this year. Uh, uh, Easton is back. Amari Thomas is back. There are guys in the middle there that are going make to them, make them good. Tyler Barron on the opposite defensive end is back. Omar Norman Lott, that's an Arizona State transfer, really good pass rusher. They brought him in. So sometimes these guys are, are – Get an opening to to be a good pass rusher just based on the the double teams are going elsewhere, and I think the double teams more so will go into the middle of the uh, of the defensive line, so that they will free up a guy like Harrison or one of those younger guys.
0: As we all know, one of the uh, the moves from the beat writer playbook, if you will, during preseason practice is is to highlight the newcomers who are catching your eye and are going to make an impact. And Adam and I have have done that over the years. We go back far enough. Back in 1934, I know John was doing that as well before he became a columnist <laughs> in his days working yeah. working the beat. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I was,
1: yeah, I was. Excuse me, I was covering that Minnesota team that won three straight national championships. I was a beat reporter on the Gophers. I thought and, you were, yeah, I realized yeah. You didn't uh, like the cold weather. Yeah, I was. I was back in the Big Ten back there. Some real tough cold weather games, and I just don't know if Georgia can equal what Minnesota did. I kind of hope they don't
0: time will tell. <laughs> but Adam, I'm sure you will be looking for a newcomer breakout player story. So let's take these one at a time, uh, hype and her- hyperbole aside of you know, what we might see drummed up in the headlines throughout the next month. Uh, but brass tacks, which newcomer on offense, let's start on offense first, which newcomer on offense will be most ready to make a splash Big impact player, however you want to phrase it, coming out of preseason. And if I need to remind anyone, newcomer players would include the five-star quarterback, Nico Yamaliava.
2: That's not the guy I'm going with. Um, okay, I thought been... maybe I'd tempt you. <laughs> sure. Uh, this may surprise you guys who I'm going to go with, but it's going to be and McAllen Castles. Um, that is a... He, he was he's UC Davis. He was at Cal earlier in his uh in his career, so don't freak out that they're just getting a UC Davis guy. He's played in the what used to be the Pac-12. McAllen um, Castles is stepping into the Princeton Fant role, and anybody that saw UT last year knows that Princeton Fant did a lot. He ran the ball. He, he even threw the ball uh, for a touchdown. He, he was a, he was a good receiver. Now they're not going to ask Castles to do all that all that sort of stuff, but um, I, you know if you. For fans that go to games and that see the impact uh, just in a in a very easy way to see where the ball goes, you're not going to notice the offensive lineman that I've already mentioned, the transfers. But you are going to notice when a new tight end uh, catches a couple of touchdown passes, and I think that's that's what you're going to get out of Castles early in the season. I, I think he fits in good with this offense. I think he's benefited from being here in spring and the offseason, and I think you'll see him slide into that Princeton Fant role Uh, pretty well. Jacob Warren, the other tight end, is is a good tight end, but there are certain limitations that he has that I think Castles uh, can fill in with.
1: It's hard hard to overlook Nico with all the fanfare he has attracted since he was signed. Uh, He's the backup quarterback, and it's not easy for the starting quarterback to start every game. We saw that last year when Hendon Hooker couldn't do it. I just think there will be a chance perhaps through misfortune that Nico gets a shot to play significant snaps. And from everything I've heard, I think he will do very well. And any time he's in the game, I think that's one of the interesting factors about this team. Uh, Tennessee's capable of scoring a lot of points, which means against weaker teams, the game could be decided in the fourth quarter. And I think fans will stick around and stay with it to see how Nico does. He's just he's just drawn so much attention since he first committed. I, I would not have had my money on
0: Adam going with an FCS transfer tight end as sort of the breakout newcomer on offense. We, we discussed earlier Dante Thornton, the Oregon transfer wide receiver, a couple power five transfers on the offensive line, but I like that Adam's coming out of left field a little bit with more of a deep dive looking at the tight end, stepping in for, for Princeton fan. But this guy was a really good FCS player, right, Adam? I mean, wasn't he, you know, kind of high accolade performer at, at UC Davis?
2: Yeah, I mean, he said the obvious uh, description of himself in his first press conference here. He said, I topped out at, at FCS, which is absolutely true. I mean, he was the best player. Again, he, he was at Cal, dropped down to FCS with the intention of coming back up to FBS. And uh, because of grad transfer rule in the, in the COVID year, he got one more year. He, he came to Tennessee basically to get a shot at the NFL, which a lot of people do if they can get here. And, uh, yeah, he, he came to an offense that will throw to the tight end, and uh, he has the right skill set for that position. And also, it was going to be three tight ends that were in the mix. Uh, one of them, a freshman, was, uh, was injured in the spring game, and so he got behind. So now you're, you're down to Warren and you're down to Castles. They have other guys on the roster, but they, he absolutely will play a lot, and he has a skill set that they can uh, utilize in this offense.
0: All right, a handful of key faces possibly contributing to Tennessee's defense. So as you pick through them, which defensive newcomer do we think will be most ready to make a big impact after preseason practice?
2: I'm not a hundred percent sold on any any of these guys, uh, and maybe that's just because it's on defense. Because um, I'm not a hundred percent sold on almost anybody on defense, returners or or uh, or newcomers. Uh, but I'm I'm going to go with Keenan Peely, the BYU transfer linebacker, and I pick him really because I think he's going to have the most opportunity to make an impact. Um, they they lost Jeremy Banks, they 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 lost uh, sullen Page, they they lost linebackers. There's snaps for him to get there. Um, if he if he can start, he absolutely will. He's an experienced player, played well at BYU. He's a two time captain. He was a uh, uh, all independent, it's not all conference because BYU is an independent uh, program. So he's he's been there and done that. He can play at this level. Um, there are snaps to be had, and you know, if you look at Tennessee's linebackers again under under Josh Hopple and the DC Tim Banks um, you're, you're either going to get a lot of tackles or you're going to be dropping into coverage a lot, or probably both. Aaron Beasley racked up a ton of tackles the last two years. Jeremy Banks was a leading tackler two years ago. So linebackers will get their opportunity. I I have a little bit of question of whether or not Keenan Peely can run, um, in open field and coverage. If he can't, then he'll be replaced, but he'll get that opportunity. And I know he can tackle and, and come up and, uh, and play the run because he did that really well at BYU, and he has and he has the skill set and the size to do that. So I'll, I'll pick Peely.
1: Uh yeah, um, I would pick Peely too. there's just such a need at that position. BYU's uh, defense. I mean, BYU is not known for defense, uh, but its defenses are often tough against the run. Front seven better than the secondary, and they play can be very physical. Um, and aggressive defensively on the front seven. And I think that that's what Tennessee really needs. Tennessee was good against the run last season, and I think it could be better against the run this season. And Peely is a reason for that. uh, Adam brings up a good point. I, I don't know how good he will be in pass coverage, but I didn't think Jeremy Banks was a star in pass coverage either. So I don't know how much of a loss that is.
2: I do think there's going to be an interesting decision that runs all the way across the defense with these guys. That newcomers have been brought in to make an impact, but there are answers of guys that are returning, and I'm, I'm interested to see position by position on defense um, when they pull the trigger on going to the more inexperienced or newcomers. Um, you know, even just the experience. Forget the newcomer part, but like Keenan Peely is the answer at linebacker. But if you don't see what you want out of him. Do you say, okay, forget that we're going with Elijah Herring, a sophomore. We're going to go with Arian Carter, a very capable freshman, and sort of turn the page. I think you have that in the secondary. Do you go with all these DBs that are returning that, frankly, did that didn't play very well last year or the year before? Or early in the year, do you say, forget it, we're turning the page. We have some really good freshmen, some four-stars we brought in. We're just going to go with them for now. And it's the same thing, a pass rush we mentioned before. Roman Harrison, I think, is going to be a good fill-in um, at at that weak side defensive end. But you have three young guys behind him. It's just going to be so interesting to see um, when they pull the trigger on the on on those guys. I don't think it happens Virginia in the opener. I don't think it happens Austin P. Maybe it happens by the time Florida gets here. But um, each position coach coach is going to have to make that determination. And I think the clock is probably different for each. I think the secondary there's a lot more hesitancy to put a newcomer in there or a young player. I think there's – because there's always that sense if you put a guy in there that hasn't done it before, he's going to get burned, and everybody will see that he'll get burned on a, on a deep route blown coverage coverage. Uh, I think there's a little more eagerness to play young guys on, on the front. And uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see how, how, uh, how quickly they turn to, to younger guys.
0: Yeah, I probably would have went with Peely as well. Same direction you did. I'm curious, as you talk about the secondary, though, Adam, we know that was the weak link of last year's defense was soft spots in the back end. Did, was there any temptation to go with Gabe Judy Lolly, the, the transfer uh, cornerback who started his career at Vanderbilt and then went on to play with Keenan Peely at BYU? Uh, was he on your your short list of guys you were thinking about maybe being newcomer breakout player coming out of preseason, or were you pretty firmly in with Peely?
2: Yeah, it was a coin flip for me, and he was in the on the other side of the coin. Um, you know, he Judy Lawley has played at this level. I covered him at Vanderbilt early in his career. He, he was he was a good enough SEC player then as a young guy. He played at BYU pretty well. He's not going to, at least in his career, he has not shown that he's he's a guy that's going to pick off a lot of passes. Um, but he's going to be in the right spots. Um, he's not going to blow coverages. Smart player. Um, and he was utilized in that way at Vanderbilt and BYU both. A guy that you're. if he's playing well, you're not going to notice him, which is a really good thing for a corner. Um, so He may be – you know, it's funny because he may be in between the two uh, the two ideologies, I think, that I laid out before of the experienced guy that's not going to screw up there's a sense that the Tennessee's coaching staff likes that guy in the secondary, especially Tim Banks, the, the experienced guy. That's not great, but he's not going to screw up versus the young, talented guy. That's probably going to screw up, but in the long run, he's better. Judy Lawley may be in between those two, because he is the newcomer. So you feel like he's got more upside, but he's played so much football at this level that he he's probably not going to screw up. So maybe he's maybe Blake, maybe you're, you're helping me talk myself into Judy Lawley. Um, But yeah, he would be the, he would be the other guy that I would choose on defense to, to make an an immediate impact. All right. Well, preseason practice underway,
0: all the coverage over at Knoxnews.com leading up to the season opener, of course, against Virginia. You can find the beat reporting from Adam, Mike Wilson, and others from the Knox news staff. Of course, John Adams has the commentary. And I'll chime in from time to time as well. And, of course, we will be with you throughout the preseason here on the Volunteer State. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left.
1: Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan.